This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome on today's episode we have Doug Gordon. This guy is a monster of a guy. He has invested over six years from 50 million to 1.3 billion. Wow, he has had a near-death experience. He has a radio show called Inspiring People, Inspiring Stories in Dublin City FM. And hello and welcome to the show, Doug. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. You mentioned about how your, your dad was in a previous interview about how he was giving you the environment to grow. Tell us about what childhood and education was like to grow in that environment. Yeah, so my father actually unfortunately lost his dad when he was two and then his mother a few years after that. So he had nothing whatsoever. Uh, was put into boarding school in a pretty tough time in terms of boarding schools. I mean, even to the extent where he had to drag a huge bag that was twice as heavy as himself at the age of eight years of age, about a mile down the road just to get to the boarding school because he had no one to help him. So he went through a lot. As the first son in the family, he always wanted to make sure that he instilled in me that I was always self-sufficient and basically made everything myself rather than spoiling me or anything like that. And it did me a lot of good. And um, I mean, he was a very kind father. He's a loving father, a wonderful father, and put a very good bedrock in place for me. But he also made sure that I went out there and, and took life on myself you know, achieved everything myself. And he, he, he really held me in good stead. So obviously, um, a very loving family, my mother as well. Um, so my father also, he, he went from um, basically a, uh, you know, a man with no money to a multimillionaire. He, he was president and head of Fidelity Investments here in Ireland. He actually started Fidelity up here in Ireland, uh, which now is about 1,000 or 1,500 people here. He used to report straight into Ned Johnson, who runs Fidelity Worldwide. Um, so he'd been very successful in his career. He was a very good model to follow. 
And then my mother on the other side is a very loving, kind person who uh, has always been into healing. And she is a Reiki master, a Sukhim healing master and all these types of healings. So I had a good balance uh, between the two of them. And it was interesting. I always believe, you know, you pick your parents um, when you come down here to, to learn as much as possible. You know, I followed my father's path for you know, 22 years in terms of went into the investment world myself and uh, worked my way up from customer services all the way up to board director and head of sales and marketing of a company. And then I had an near death experience and took up my mother's side of things a bit as well in terms of becoming a, a healer and life coach and then everything else what I'm doing now. So it sounds like you've had both aspects uh, growing up. Did, did you learn investing from your, your dad or did you learn from education or tell us about how they came about? So in terms of investment, it was interesting. I, 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 was, I did an engineering degree. I was going to go and work for a foundry, the foundry, um, really good company actually called Chamberlain Hill. They're you know very successful company. But I went and worked there at the age of, I think about 21, 22. I was being mentored by the CFO and I asked the CFO, how much did the CEO earn? And he said about 150 grand a year or something like that. We're going back an hour, uh, a while now. And I asked my father how much the CEO of Fidelity earned at the time, and I think he said about four million. So I thought, you know, if I become a clerk in the uh, in the investment world, maybe uh, that would be a good start. I decided to join Fidelity in England. I started off as a customer services broker line guy, basically on the telephone. And we had to do exams, we had to do courses. Um, there's a lot of stuff I did myself. You know, I'm a trained fund manager. I've got the investment management certificate and a trained investment advisor. I've got the investment advice certificate as well. And it just grew from there, really. And then obviously, over time, you learn from the people that you work with. And by the end of my career in the investment world, I was you know, sales director for Threadneedle Investments, which who run 490 billion, and then head of sales and marketing at Davy as well. And I was dealing with some of the biggest institutional pension fund managers, global fund managers, global banks, uh, dealing with their C-level staff such as chief investment officers and CEOs. So you learn a lot from them and then you can utilize that in your knowledge to help other people. Why didn't you go into engineering? I'm very much into a, a people person. But also there is a funny story behind that because I was, I, when I was working in the foundry, I was wearing a suit because I was given a, a job as a quality manager where I had to check the machines and keep the efficiency running as much as possible. And I would go in there literally uh, in a suit and walk out, it was, a, it was a, an iron foundry, so there's a lot of soot around, and I'd come out caked in soot by the end of the day. And my girlfriend at the time took one look at me after a few days of coming home with the soot all over me, saying, there's no way I'm coming near you. So I just thought, you know what, this is maybe not the right thing to do for the rest of my life. Um, and I'm also very much of a people person, so um, I felt instead of staring at machines all day, I wanted to stare at people all day, and hence why I changed to be much more of a people-orientated job. It just shows you how that, that fitted more towards your character than what you wanted to do. In climbing the ranks of investing, what did you learn and, and what did it teach you? Well, working in London is obviously highly competitive as it is because you, you literally have people coming from all over the world to live there, whether it be Australian, South African, uh, American, um, Middle Eastern, you know, everyone from around the world was coming to live in London because, you know, it's, it's almost like an international capital for the world. So it's highly competitive. And the environment, obviously, investment banking, investment management is highly competitive on top of that. So you need to make sure that you're performing to your best all the time. It's a highly competitive uh, arena. Thankfully, due to having played a lot of high-level sport beforehand, I was well used to competition. I was very fit uh, and I love people. 
I just made sure that I added as much value at all times to as many people as I could. And that helped in terms of moving up the ranks and uh, achieving what I wanted to achieve. I mean, I started off basically as a, as I said, a customer services rep at Fidelity, where we were taking sometimes 150 inbound calls a day and then making out, outgoing cold calls as well. You were graded on your productivity, as in how many calls you did, you took, and also the quality of those calls as well. And we were dealing with financial advisors, stockbrokers, and fund managers who were coming in and buying our funds, uh, which are basically portfolios of stocks and shares, or portfolios of bonds, or portfolios of commercial property. At the time, you're getting hundreds of calls every single day, and you need to make sure you give them good quality service uh, and achieve whatever they need to achieve on the call as quickly as possible. The only environment there in terms of competition that we could really utilize is to become the number one for quality and the number one for taking the most amount of calls. And I did a record within Fidelity at the time. I actually, um, seven months in a row, I won the award for the highest quality and the highest productivity while I was there. So that was that one. Then moved, um, I was basically living down in Tunbridge uh, in Kent, which is a beautiful place if you are married with kids. But as a man who was uh, single, I decided it wasn't the place for me. I wanted to be in London where all the action was. So I looked around and uh, I moved up uh, from basically customer services to sales support in a company called Lazard Asset Management, which was a big uh, American French uh, asset manager. And again, sales support there, what I was doing was basically supporting a salesman on the road. And so he was going out and seeing financial advisors, stockbrokers and fund managers, basically selling our funds. And then I would supply him with everything he needed in terms of literature and supporting him in terms of follow-ups with clients and everything like that. So I did that for about a year, but then he left very kindly and um, opened up the opportunity for myself. So I then got into sales myself and I was traveling around. His area actually was north of England and Scotland and uh, Northern Ireland. So I started traveling around there, uh, looking after clients there. really enjoyed that. Uh, got to you know do some presentations in front of people early on at an early age. And then one of our fund managers, our key fund manager, left to go to HSBC Asset Management. I felt that he was a good guy to follow because he had a very good track record in terms of performance. So it was a, you know, an easy sell in some ways. But also I wanted to get a, a patch in terms of sales down near London as well. So I didn't have to travel as much uh, at the time. And I ended up moving to HSBC myself. Spent two years traveling around the southeastern region of England, seeing stockbrokers and financial advisors and helping them with, you know, in terms of selling our funds and advice in terms of investment products as well. And then after that, I uh, actually, my CEO or MD at HSBC moved across to what was called Morley Fund Management, but then became Aviva Investors now. He actually poached me across, and he poached me across to look after London. And obviously in London, you get bigger accounts. Uh, it also means as well, you're not sitting in the car all day. So obviously being quite into sport and health, it was much more healthy to be walking around London, going up and down the tube and everything like that, rather than just being in a car stuck outside all day. So um, a good, good opportunity, moved across there and... Their stockbroker um, coverage hadn't really been covered at all. There's no business coming in. And very quickly, I grew a business from scratch there. I got to do a lot of presenting all around uh, the UK with financial advisors, uh, solicitors, stockbrokers, you name it. Sometimes presenting you know, in front of three, 400 people, which gave me very good experience in terms of presenting and understanding how to pitch something to a professional body. What happened was a very good friend of mine um, who I'd seen 
uh, on the the circuit as such, who, who was a sales guy at another company, became head of sales and marketing at Threadneedle, um, which is now Columbia Threadneedle Investments. He then poached me across direct to Threadneedle to basically be sales director for you know London, UK. Came across, and that was the time actually. Uh, there was only about $50 million coming in per annum at the end of 2006. And then when I came in, uh, I just, you know, using various different sales te- techniques that I've learned over the time, and a lot of action really as well, we ended up building that up. And in 2012, I did an industry record actually of $1.75 billion in sales in that year. Then though, in uh, 2015, I'm separated now, but my then wife's father had cancer and kidney failure. So I felt it was appropriate to take the family back to Ireland to look after him. And I'm Irish originally, and my ex-wife is Irish, and it was appropriate to go back. I, You know, if I was 80-something years of age, I'd want my son to do that for me, or my uh, son-in-law, or whatever, to do that for me. So um, I felt it was the right thing to do. We came back, and actually his health improved massively. And I worked for Davy then for two and a half, three years uh, as their head of European distribution, or head of sales and marketing, basically. We had a good business. We grew that quickly. Uh, we won a, a global award for being the um, top brand in investment management, which they were nowhere beforehand in terms of the asset management side. And, uh, but we got, I got them in lots of the key trade magazines and we did a lot of uh, seminars and workshops and conferences all over the UK. And that built us from nothing to having a good presence in the asset management market in the UK. Back in 2008, I had um, a lot of stress. I'm sure everybody will remember those times. You know, 2008 was a really tough period for markets. That led to a lot of ailments uh, through stress. And then by the end of 2009, I needed two operations and unfortunately went wrong. So I spent between 2009 to 2012 basically waking up sometimes 10 times in the night, which wasn't pleasant at all. But I was still working all the time. I was still holding a lot of resilience, making sure that I achieved all my targets. I generally doubled them every year and tripled them in, in 2012. But when I got back here, I'd already set up a business on the side. Um, which initially was a healing business because I wanted to heal myself after I had a near-death experience then in 2012. But then I um, I got into life coaching because of the mind-body connection and then business coaching because of obviously doing what I'm doing in terms of the uh, investment stuff. Then I got started being asked to go on stage. Eventually, by the end of 2017, I was asked to go into a business where they were going to pay me uh, a number of thousands uh, to go in and speak to their office for an hour and a half. And um, it was just too good opportunity to miss. So I, uh, I decided to uh, part ways with Davey and um, come become a professional speaker and set up the radio show and do a lot of coaching consulting. And that's where I am now. Someone that has a sporting background, you must have craved the adrenaline rush. And it sounds like working the way you were before your uh, near-death experience, it sounds like you were chasing the adrenaline through through investing. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's as simple as numbers. When I was going out and speaking to people in terms of the investment world, the thrill of getting a big deal in, um, it started off when I was, you know, younger. It would be a million quid with, with you know, a financial advisor. Then I started looking after stockbrokers. It'd be ten million quid. Then asset managers. It'd be fifty to a hundred million quid. And then, you know, in global institutions, you know, I got one deal in for five hundred thirty million at one stage. It was a buzz because of the numbers, 
But then after the near-death experience, it changed. So, yeah, you're, I mean, you're totally right. It was an adrenaline rush to look at the sales figures every month and see I was bringing in more than anybody else, see that I was bringing big deals in. It was a buzz, massive buzz. But then you realize there's more to life than just money. Um, and actually the thrill of actually adding value to people's lives is just so much more fulfilling. How did your near-death experience change you as a, a whole individual? So the near-death experience I had, I kind of came out of it and I felt like I had this spiritual experience so I had to give something back. At the time, I went and did a religious course. I didn't know what else to do, right? So I went and did a religious course uh, called the Alpha Course, um, which is very good, actually. It's a Christian course. And Bear Grylls had done it, so I thought, you know, it's Bear Grylls. It's good, good enough for Bear Grylls. It's probably good enough for me. Went and did the first day. And when I had my near-death experience, I was surrounded by and encapsulated by this amazing feeling of love, energy, and connection. Nothing that I ever felt before. And there was no man with a beard, but there was a conscious, loving, caring energy there that I was connected to. And when I went to do the, the Christian course, I obviously believe in Jesus. And, you know, I, I pray to him all the time and everything like that. But I felt, and I said to them on the course at the time, I felt like there's no way that the love and the energy in that that feeling that I had, that love or what we might call God, uh, would ever alienate or discriminate against anybody in this world. And I really do believe that religions are like rivers to the sea. It doesn't matter which one you go down, as long as you get to the sea, being God or universal energy or whatever you believe in, even your own consciousness if you don't believe in anything externally. At that point, you know, I said to them, look, I just, I, I don't know if this is for me. And I went away and I wasn't going to go back. You know, I just kind of put it, put it out there to the universe or whatever. I was just said, look, you know, give me a sign kind of thing. Two days later, I was helping a friend of mine. He was a stockbroker who had cancer. And I'd done so much research because actually when I, after I had my opera operations in 2009, it was digestive tract issues. I just literally researched almost like a PhD student, everything you could possibly learn about in terms of nutrition, in terms of alternative medicine, in terms of the body, everything to try and heal myself. And I was helping this guy in terms of his cancer, you know, just with some kind of body nutrition orientated stuff. Uh, obviously, we've done a lot. I've always been into big you know, people like Tony Robbins and everything like that, and positive mindset stuff as well. And then finally, I said to him, look, you know, they always say body, mind and soul. I haven't talked to you about soul stuff i said look on monday i went and did this alpha course so i don't know if it's for me but maybe it's for you maybe you should do something soul like and he was really appreciated and i think that was the first sign ever that i'd shown faith to any other person in my life anyway that night i went out running because i was playing premier league national league hockey at the time i was running i tripped up over my dog who was running with me cut my hand and my knee to shreds and um, the next day the cuts kind of healed a bit and i looked down and i was going genie i had three eights I had two eights, like infinity signs on my hand and one on my knee. And I was like bemused by this. And then I went into work and another friend of mine said, yeah, but have a look on your hand. And I was like, what? And he showed me on my hand that I had the letters I-N-R-I. -I. It was big I, big N, small R, small I. And if you know what that means in Latin, it means Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and it was on the cross. Um, so it was like big I, big N. It was like saying Jesus here, um, not really King of the Jews, but you might want to go back and do that course. So I went back and did the course and um, got really into Christianity to begin with, but then expanded out more into spirituality um, and then went from there. You know, how did the near-death experience change me? Well, if you told me, say even in 2015, 
that I'd be doing healings on people uh, back in like 2008, I would have thought you were bonkers. But I had some incredible healings happen. I mean, my son had a big, huge splinter. We couldn't get out. We we're going to have to go to hospital. I just used my hands and visualization and prayer and it came out. My ex-wife was due to have a um, an operation on her knee because fluid on the knee popped out, did, did that. It just disappeared the next day. And loads of other stuff like that was actually, I can't tell you the names of it, uh, professional footballers and um, professional rugby players as well. So yeah, so in terms of change, I became much more spiritual. I became much uh, interested in other people's well-being, much more interested in my own well-being as well, trying to help people as much as possible. Yeah, and, and probably your your draw for the adrenaline rush is kind of more to the how you can help an individual grow in whatever aspect of their business, life, sport, whatever it is. So that, that must be a new joy now and less stress on your adrenals because you're, you have a whole different rush now. Totally. I mean, I, I, like literally, I went through in 2017, just before I left um, Davy. actually, I went through a marriage split up. Uh, my wife walked out with the two kids because she had somewhere to go. She went to her father's. She walked out with the kids and, you know, that was one of the toughest periods of my life because absolutely, you know, obviously adore my kids. It was really, really hard. But I have to say, with the uh, meditation practices that I do, conscious practices that I do, and the stuff I've learned through the healing, through the life coaching, and through, you know, working with clients with similar kind of issues, I was able to cope really well. And uh, since I've come through and, yeah, been able to use that to help other people as well. Tell us about how BNS performance optimization came about. DNS has been around for, well, it's been, it's been around for about five years now, but um, not always with that name. So it started off as Body Health and Soul, because I have a website called Body Health and Soul, and that was pure kind of healing and life coaching, and then some speaking. Then I morphed it into DDG, performance optimization. Someone, when they saw the DDG, Someone said it looked like dog, D-O-G, <laughs> on, on the card. So I decided to change it. So I changed it to D and S performance optimization because my now fiance is called Susanna and my daughter is called Sarah. So that's where the DNS comes from. Yeah, DNS performance. We're, we're a, a coaching, consulting and corporate training company. It started off just with myself. Uh, now I have other people as well who work within the business. Um, and I have both direct working in business. I also have associate coaches as well that work with me that I can use to, uh, uh, if, if I have too much work or I need more than one coach within a, a, an operation or a job. And and in this company, are you still investing and, and doing what you've done before, just but just in a different manner and way? No, I do. I do investments on my side, PA. I don't at the moment take people on as clients in terms of investment, although I do have a massive network of investment people. I mean, I've got 22,000 LinkedIn contacts, and I'd say about 16,000 of them are key investment people throughout Europe, throughout the UK, throughout uh, even the States as well. You know, I've been able to help people in terms of startups. I've been able to help people in terms of larger companies in terms of investment. Because if you think about it, like, you know, while I was working for Columbia Threadneedle, they got 490 billion under management. But I was best friends with some of the guys who worked at Schroeder's, Fidelity, uh, M&G, Vesco, Prudential, you know, all these different companies who, again, have 
billions under management as well and our LinkedIn contacts. You know, if there's a company that I'm working with, there's an interesting investment opportunity there. Obviously, I can help people in terms of getting them a potential cap intro. And that's something I've done uh, since I've gone out by myself as well. It's a kind of a sideline hustle. Out, out of all the everything you've done, which would be your, your best pitch or best sale that you that you appreciate or, or tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, in the investment world, it definitely has to be a company called Jupiter Asset Management. Jupiter Asset Management um, is one of the biggest fund management companies in the UK. Uh, they haven't been going that long, so they've been very, very successful in building up uh, assets under management. Uh, nothing with Threadneedle when I was there, and I was looking after them as a client. Uh, we got eventually got our emerging market debt fund into their panels, and they bought up to about 230 million into that fund. They got 12 in this particular fund of funds where they bought it. They had about 12 billion under management at the time. In 2011, I'm not giving anything away because it's in the press. In 2011, Fred Needle had a rogue trader, and they stopped the the trade. But um, he was a rogue trader, and obviously he was let go. But it hit the emerging market debt team quite hard because he was in that team. They were basically investigated a lot by the FCA, which is the Financial Conduct Authority. And eventually, I think they got fed up, but they also got poached then because they had decent performance and they went across the standard life. And that was in 2012. And when you lose a fund management team, it's like losing Lewis Hamilton from the Mercedes car team. Uh, You're losing your number one driver, basically. So the, the driving team had gone. There was one guy left, though, who was a Brazilian guy, who was very capable. And he'd worked with the Brazilian government before in terms of economic side of things. You know, he was a great trader. and you know, But he was the only person left. The other guys, uh, Jupiter, had never met him or anything like that. So we had to promote, promote him straight away into that uh, position as the new driver on the emerging market debt team. But there was $230 million at risk. And the CEO of the company thought he was going to go did the global head of sales as well but i was like you know i really put in you know my viewpoint was you know it isn't gone until it's gone and i was very much i'm always have been into visualization of positivity affirmations i was saying i'm sure i can keep this i'm sure we can keep them. you know as i said the brazilian guy who was left over is very capable he's a good fund manager and um, but he was only one of a team of 12 so it was a big risk for them to leave it there anyway um i trained the fund manager up in terms of what the client wanted what their needs were why they invested what they liked about the fund what they liked about the previous fund manager so that he could understand everything about the underlying client then i trained him up on on the kind of skills that he needed in terms of uh presentation skills to be able to do that because he hadn't done much presentation in fact his his english wasn't great uh, then I rang the client, um, and this was way before, obviously, anything came out of the press, because I wanted to make sure that the client knew about the situation before the press did, so that they felt that we were giving them added value. And I said, look, this, this, the team has left, they're going to standard life, but we have got a really good guy left there. So, you know, I, I really appreciate if you could meet with them before you make any decisions about taking money away or anything like that. I said to them also, look, you know, just in case, though, in case you want to move out of the fund, I know that you've been looking at our European equity fund as well. And they had been. And I said, look, can you meet with the European equity fund manager? It also means that if you switch within the OIC structure, within Threadneedle, you don't incur any capital gains tax for switching that money out. So it could be a good option for you. So they agreed. And I brought both fund managers in. 
And I remember sitting in a meeting. When I go into meetings with clients, and I always, well, when I used to as a, as a fund management guy, I used to go in and I used to do uh, the intro and then talk a lot about the process and how the fund was run. And then I'd hand over to the fund manager to talk about the nuts and bolts about buying and selling and how he buys and sells stocks or bonds within the portfolio and how he could talk then about the economy as the kind of the product specialist. So I went and did my piece. I sat back and watched their body language as they listened to the Brazilian guy. And I really have to emphasize, he's a clever guy, but his English wasn't great. And I could see they were struggling a bit. And I was just, I was sitting there literally sending them positive energy, like massive, massive positive energy. I really believe you can do that in a meeting. And especially now that people aren't allowed handshake, because obviously there's, you know, I really, truly believe that you can send people positive energy through your heart to their heart as you meet them. Anyway, so I was doing that. And then suddenly, the fund manager started talking about stocks and how he actually buys and sells. And he came alive. You know, even if even if you uh, didn't understand everything he said, you could see that he was passionate about it. And that passion won the client over, which was fantastic. Obviously, with a lot of following up, the information they needed afterwards, everything like that, you know, it was very important for me to do that and any salesperson to do that. Um, and then we brought the European guy in as well. Same thing, really. I mean, he obviously spoke uh, proper English and everything like that, so it's fine. We won both of them. They not only kept the 230 million, they also added another 200 and something million uh, in that year as well. They added 300 million into the European Equity Fund as well. So from a potential loss, 230 million, I actually got a gain of 530 million that year. And nobody could believe it in the office. They all thought the money was gone. So that would probably be one of my best sells, I think. Wow, it shows you how all this can combine together and make it quite amazing. Yeah, I mean, that will be my, my, my latest one in terms of coaching. I'm, I'm now on the panel for the SVPs of a very, very senior, oh, sorry, with, because I met a very senior uh, person at one of the biggest tech firms in the world. If I run through the process of how that sell went, that was really good as well, I have to say. So that was not long ago. This particular guy got promoted and he's one of the top guys in this particular firm. I, on LinkedIn, I saw he was promoted, so I sent him congratulations. And I had previously seen him speak about two years ago at, a, at an event. And I congratulated him because he did a really, really good speech. I didn't hear anything back from him, though. But, you know, he's a busy guy. He didn't know me, uh, and I didn't really know him. But this time, he did come back. He said, Doug, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I, I said to him, I said, look, you know, I said, let's just call him. It's not his name, but let's just call him John. I said, uh, John, look. If you're interested, I'd be delighted to come in and do a motivational speech for you. Here's one I did recently at the National Health and Wellbeing Summit. And I sent him the video. And within about 15 minutes, he came back and said, sure, I'd love to. Let's put a coffee in the diary. Here's my secretary's details. And sorted out with her. I emailed her. And within a week or two, we met. But before I met... I went on to his Twitter account, I went on to his LinkedIn account, and I worked out where he'd been, what he'd been doing, listened to a lot of his videos to understand his energy, how he speaks, how he communicates, and everything like that. He was, uh, he's a super guy, really is a super guy. I then found out that he was connected to certain charities and certain commercial institutions. At the commercial institutions, I uh, had spoken at similar ones before, and the charities, I was involved myself in something very similar as well. So it was really good to understand connective uh, common factors between the two of us, because that's key in sales and key in business, because business is all about trust and sales is all about trust. 
And it's all about communication and connection with other people. I was looking for areas that we could connect. And I saw also he was a rugby fan, as I was. He had two sons. I've got two kids. And I looked at his videos of where he'd been uh, for certain seminars recently as well. When I arrived in then, having done my research, I then went and spent some time talking to the secretary. And the importance of talking to the secretary, uh, not the secretary, sorry, the receptionist. Talking to receptionists when you go into meetings and go into businesses is key because you can get a world of information from them. And they generally know everybody from the janitor to the CEO because they all speak to them um, in some way or form. So I always believe it's incredibly important to make friends with receptionists and secretaries of key people, which I did. So I spent some time asking all about her and all about the business, how long she'd been there and everything like that. And told her I was seeing, we call him John, as I said, and there was a picture of John. She showed me there's a picture of John over there on the wall and he was with a load of people. I went up and had a look and I saw that he had his buttons done up on his blazer. So automatically, I did my buttons up on my blazer of my suits as well. One of the reasons why you do this is because it's the importance of people like to people like people like themselves. They always say opposite attracts. In business and in friendships, I don't believe that's true. I believe it's like attracts like. If you have similar you know, interests, you, you attract the other people you want to hang around with. So I wanted to show that I'm, I'm like them. And I do button up my, my suit normally as well, but I just hadn't at that point in time because I was quite warm. Anyway, so, and then I noticed that the energy coming through the door uh, from reception into the other side was very positive. There seemed to be a real buzz behind there. They had their communal uh, restaurant behind there as well. So I thought that I noted that for when I was going to meet them. The other thing I noticed is uh, when you go into certain companies, they have their mission statement behind the receptionist. And I think that's really key because it's really important to be able to walk into your own office every day and look up and see what you do and why you do it. So say, for example, it might be something like trying to save time and make lives easier for people or something like that. So every time you walk into the office, you can look at that behind the receptions and go, whoa, that's what I do. Okay, I get it. I feel cool. I've got purpose. Um, I know that they didn't have that there. So I thought, okay, there's an opportunity as well. So eventually then, um, this chap, we call him John, it's not his name, but John came out and uh, greeted him with a very firm, strong handshake, obviously, a very smiley face. And straight away, I had the intention as well, sorry, I forgot to say this, before I was going in the meeting, that I wasn't looking for a sale. I was looking to be a friend of this guy. My aim was to befriend this guy because in, in business, I don't think it's, it's important to get a quick sale. I think it's important to get, make friends and long-term contacts and long-term relationships in any business and in any sales environment. Because even if you don't make a sale, if that person goes to a networking event um, and someone else needs your product and they know you, they'll recommend you. So I think it's incredibly important to go in and have the intention behind everything you do to make best friends with the people that you're going to meet. And that's what I had. So anyway, so we went through the doors and as we were going through, I said, John, gee, you know, the energy in this room is incredible. You know, you, you can feel it as you come in. You've really instilled a really positive vibe within the business. And, you know, hats off to you. And he was really, you know, he, he liked that, obviously, because, um, you know, he's responsible for it all. And then on top of that, I said to him, I said, look, you know, I was doing a speech the other day about uh, health and well-being at the National Health and Well-Being Workplace Wellness Conference. I was talking about, you know, having your purpose and having your why and the importance of all your colleagues and teams knowing that. I said, I'm, I'm surprised. I said in a slightly joking way, you don't have your mission statement above your receptionist. 
And he laughed and said, you know what, actually, that's a really good idea. No, we have to get that done. We have it inside. We don't have it outside. I think it's important for clients as well. So again, just adding value to it. We went into the coffee shop. He started buying me a, a cup of green tea. And uh, I started talking to him. I said, no, I saw you were over in America. I saw you had some conference last week. Uh, I saw on Twitter. It looked really good. You were on stage in front of about 5,000 people. Yeah, yeah. And then I said to him, I said, I also see you're uh, part of the XYZ charity. I'm in a, in you know AB charity, which is very similar. We do the same kind of thing, but in a different way. And he's like, oh, brilliant! That's fantastic. Again, creating connection. Then on top of that, I said to him, "I see you're in this corporation, business corporation uh, society. Um, I've done the same, but for different countries. I've been doing some presenting and you know doing some motivational talks. If you're interested, and we're working together, I'd love to come in and do a motivational talk for you guys and try and add value to you and your your organisation." And he was really chuffed for that. And then afterwards, I said to him, I said, look, I saw you were in XYZ, an African country, and you uh, were talking about your team over there, and you were grinning from cheek to cheek. I said, hey, you know, what was that? Was that you? Was it the warmth of the weather, or were you just in a good mood? I said, you know, someone like you, with your uh, tenure in terms of how long you've been here and also your presentation skills, you know, I could see you on stage earning 20, 30 grand every time you speak. And at that point, we were going to go and sit down the uh, one of the tables in the communal area downstairs and he took me upstairs instead he said let's go upstairs to my office and I think the reason for that was because he realized that I'd done my homework and he realized that I hadn't talked about one thing about my myself since I walked through the door all I talked about was him his business and his interests and obviously if there was something that I had done that was the same as him then I'd say oh yeah I've done that or, and try and add value to him in all possible ways and we got up to his office and his office actually had a big picture of a rugby stadium and again we started then talking about rugby and uh, we found out we had common friends in terms of rugby because uh, I've interviewed a few people on the, on the radio show uh, international rugby players that again created connection and we talked about his son who was a big rugby fan as well and it was his son's birthday I saw it on Twitter and I saying, you know, happy birthday for his son. At that point, we developed a very strong bond. At that point, I hadn't once said one thing about me or what I do, unless it was something connected to him. So then we sat down and he almost gave me a nod as if to say, right, why are you here? And I said to him, I said, look, John, uh, obviously, as I said, his name isn't John. But I said, look, John, you are very kind. I really am so grateful for this opportunity to speak to you. Um, but it's your time. How can I add as much value to you as possible? He was, well, Doug, you know, you called the meeting on LinkedIn. So tell me what you uh, have to offer. So that gave me the opportunity. I had asked for permission to sell. I didn't sell to him before he'd given me the permission. And I think that's key that people need to realize how important that is. Because too many people just rant into their sale. So this is the first time then during that meeting that I was able to start selling. At that point, then, I did not mention how good I was or anything like that. I straight away went into LinkedIn examples of recommendations who I have. So I've got recommendations. So I've done some coaching where I've coached Stuart Lancaster, the Leinster coach. And I've been on stage with some of the best speakers in the world. So I straight away went into how... 
you know, Joe Peachy, who is ranked by global gurus as the number one sales trainer in the world. And I read out what he said about me and seeing me speak and, and my training, which obviously was very positive. I also have been working with one of the top CEOs in Ireland uh, in the software support industry, which obviously this tech co company was you know, kind of linked, you know, in terms of what they do to the other company. And I said what I did with the company. And with that CEO, I helped him in terms of his health and fitness I also helped him in terms of employee engagement. I also helped him in terms of top management, in terms of making sure that there was better team play between his top managers and top SVPs. And then I helped him in terms of getting more done in less time with less stress. So in other words, lifestyle architecture or making sure you have a good work-life balance. And we did strategic plans in that to make sure that he got it all done and he could spend more time with his family as well. And then finally, I helped him obviously in my skill set with sales and marketing. And, you know, in terms of sales and marketing, we brought in over 100 million of new revenue from when I was working with him. And I'm still working with him now. So I used all this as an example with this guy, John, from this tech firm. Then I went into a few other examples. But again, never saying how good I was, purely saying what other people had said. And I've got like 42 different LinkedIn recommendations. I obviously didn't go through them all. I just went through key ones of people that he would know. And some of them are famous. And you've got to remember, like LinkedIn recommendations are really good because what LinkedIn recommendations do is it gets someone is putting their reputation on a public domain saying that you're good at what you do. And in coaching, it's all very well. I have all the coaching certificates and everything like that, which I do. But really, it's meaningless compared to the results that you produce. And the results are everything that counts. There are so many people that go out and get some kind of coaching certificate or everything like that, and they've got no results. They just, you know, expect to get loads of people. And my big thing that I tell people, if you're a coach out there, is go out there and do some stuff for free to begin with, add a massive amount of value, then get them to give you recommendations, and then use that to get paid stuff. And that's key. So anyway, I'd said all this to this guy, uh, as we we're calling him, John. I, I literally spent five minutes telling him this, no longer. And at the end of the five minutes, I shut up and just sat there. And he said, right, Doug, you do coaching. I'm going to put you forward to XYZ person for coaching. You do corporate training. I'm going to put you forward to this person. And you do keynote speaking. I'm going to put you forward to this person. Job done. I walked out of the room, shook his hand with absolute gratitude, got into the car, drove 10 minutes straight into the first garage I could find, pulled over and wrote an email back to him as soon as possible, basically saying how grateful I was for the meeting, delighted for the opportunity to work with him and his company. Here are the key factors that we talked about where I can add value to him and his company. Boom, ba -dum, ba -dum. You know, So that was obviously coaching, corporate training, consulting and keynote speaking. He then came back and this guy looks after a massive organization with over 100,000 people working globally who he's responsible for. A massive organization. And he came back with an email CCing in the people that he mentioned in the meeting. He said, Doug, I am taking you forward for dear so-and-so, please sort Doug out for coaching. Dear so-and-so, please sort Doug out for a corporate training. Dear so-and-so, please sort out Doug for keynote speaking. And then I was bombarded with HR emails, left, right and centre from different people, uh, getting it all sorted. Uh, one of the things that I had to do is uh, be vetted by one of the top coaching, uh, vetting and uh, sourcing companies in the world. The great thing was then that I, I, when I was talking to that company, I said to them, look, 
you know, I've got a big presence over in the UK and Ireland in terms of coaching. And perhaps then maybe if I deal with a corporation, financial corporation over here, I could collaborate with you guys and use your coaching network over in America. And that way we can provide a service globally rather than just over here. And they were really keen. So they then offered me to go into another company as well that they dealt with. So I got two for the price of one. Now I'm one of the top coaches within these two companies. That would be my best sell probably over the last year uh, on that side as well. Doug, tell us about how the radio show came about. Yeah, so I, in 2017, I was asked to do a talk for the Association of Key Account Managers. It was about March 2017. I did the tour, made up. It's the first actually presentation I ever really made up um, for a big audience. It was about 100 people, myself. So it was on sales directors' uh, role in key account management and how to optimize your team's potential, basically. And I got really good feedback from there and really enjoyed doing that because I added a lot of value. I brought in a bit of stuff in terms of mind, body and soul just at the end, the same way that the the book uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People does, where the seventh habit is all about looking after your own health so that you can optimize your energy to optimize your performance in your job. And I really enjoyed that. And I felt I wanted to tell people as well about my near-death experience. I wanted to get on the radio. So I end up, I used to always do affirmations. I used to put on a vision board and I put on the vision board that I am grateful that I'm on the radio. Within one month, I met someone at an event who was a radio presenter, a really good guy called Joe Dalton. He runs Breakthrough Brands. And he brought me on his radio show. He got on the radio show, told all about my near-death experience. And then I got on another radio show, another one. It ended up on like eight radio shows. And then I thought to myself, you know, I really enjoy uh, being on the radio. And someone said to me, you've got a really good voice for radio. And I was like, okay. So I changed my affirmation saying, I'm grateful that I have my own radio show. And within one month again, I had my own radio show. And that tallied in perfect timing in terms of, that was literally, I think, two weeks before the first speech I did in that company that I was telling you about. That was um, where they paid me uh, over five grand to speak for an hour and a half. At that point, it was, you know, I thought, right, okay, here we go. And then I started doing the radio show. And I thought I'd just get, like, my friends and family and, you know, and their friends and their family. But my first radio show guest was a bit of a hero of mine because I used to be a Wimbledon fan in football. I'd go to Plough Lane as a kid and everything like that. And there was a great footballer who played for uh, Wimbledon called Dean Holdsworth. Have you heard of Dean Holdsworth? I have, yeah. Fabulous player. Yeah, exactly. So Dean played, uh, I think only once for England, but um, he was up against some you know, amazing people at the time, like Alan Shearer. So it would be a bit tough to get in the team. Anyway, he, um, he was... Wimbledon's top scorer I just approached him on LinkedIn and he agreed to it so he was doing a charity for children in terms of football I got him on my show he's my first guest and then my second guest Jack Daly Jack Daly's one of the most famous sales speakers uh, throughout the world and has written the book called Hyper Sales Growth uh, which is a Forbes recognized book uh, New York Times bestseller and all that kind of stuff yeah Jack and I have become really good friends over the last few years now since that and it went from there so they are getting amazing people on I've had you know, everyone from Gary McGann, the uh, used to be CEO of Smurfits and Aer Lingus now, chairman of Paddy Power Betfair, to people like uh, Jamie Eastlip, the former Irish captain for rugby, Stuart Lancaster, the uh, Leinster and ex-England rugby coach, um, and many, many other people like that. So it's been amazing. And, I, you know, I, I get to mastermind with these people 
every single week, learning what works and what doesn't work in business, what works and what doesn't work in sport, how to become successful in sport. And then I met other people through the radio show. I had them on the radio show who cured themselves of the likes of cancer and serious ailments. There's a lady who's a good friend of mine now who cured herself of multiple cirrhosis uh, naturally, uh, which is supposed to be incurable. And you learn from these people and you can take what you learn and bring it on uh, and use it with your clients as well. And I find that um, you don't just, I mean, you hear a half hour podcast, or not podcast, but radio show, it's on national radio every week. But actually, you know, we tend to speak for an hour beforehand and then during the show, it's normally half an hour after the show as well, just to, you know, chat about it. And we normally make friends and have been on stage with some of these people, at least. So from the, the Secret film, which is the Law of Attraction film uh, that's on Netflix, which is very good. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's well worth watching, especially at this point in time, because we should all be visualizing a healthy a healthy world but um, I had two of the, the stars of the film on there Lisa Nichols and John D. Martini Dr. John D. Martini on my show and then I've since been on stage with them uh, Lisa over in America and Florida was on stage in front of about a thousand people and speaking there and then over here with Dr. John D. Martini as well so you, you get to the opportunity set to basically mastermind with these people, talk to these people, become friends with these people. And I'm now have uh, all of their phone numbers, all of their WhatsApps, and we speak regularly. You know, people once asked me, do you have a coach? I do have a coach myself, but actually I've got so many different coaches that I can mastermind with anytime I want. And it's been a godsend. And the radio show has gone from like zero to 132,000 live listeners in less than two years. Um, and because of that as well, I think my LinkedIn has gone from 4,000 to 22,000 during that time as well. What did all these amazing people teach you over this years? So obviously we're in a tough period now in terms of the coronavirus. What I'll give you is my gem, as I call it. But actually, I'm going to add to it as well because of where we are right now. I normally, so my gem is, the first is gratitude. Gratitude is amazing. I'm sure there's people out there listening who have children. If you've ever given that child a present and the child is not happy with the present, and like, you know, don't like this, throws it away. Do you feel like giving that child anything else? Of course you don't, right? If you think about it, whether you believe in God or not, I don't mind. But let's just say the God, if God or the universe has given you everything that you have now, you know, your house, your home, your wife, your husband, your children, whatever, and you're complaining about it in some way or form, do you think the universe or God is going to give you anything else? Of course not. And even if you don't believe in God or, or the universe or whatever, you just believe in your own self. If you don't feel total gratitude for where you are in life and what you have, your subconscious self is not going to feel worthy enough to receive anything else. And that's key. And that's why I would say the first thing is, is to have absolute gratitude every single day for what you are uh, and what you have. I write gratitude statements generally in the morning, but also in the evening. And in the morning, I'll write, uh, I'm grateful because I'm doing this uh, podcast with you, Aaron, or I've got another one I'm doing myself, a radio show later on. Uh, you know, I'm just taking some business. I'm doing an online course soon. I've got a fantastic online course coming out, which is going to be out. Uh, it has all my best ideas on there in a, basically a four-hour stint. There's so many people that put podcasts out, sorry, not podcasts, online courses out. They're like 30 hours. And realistically, people sometimes don't have it. So I just basically concentrated everything I've learned, everything that's helped the CEOs, everything that has helped in terms of my radio show onto a very succinct, short uh, online course and I you know I'm charging a fraction of what I charge for an hour of my time face to face 
and you're getting all my best ideas. If you're a coach out there, I can tell you this particular online course, for example, will give you, you know, amazing uh, insights of what you can use with your own clients. Yeah, so gratitude is the first thing, to be grateful for everything that you have and write your gratitude statements down in I am grateful statements every single day. And I actually say, um, if you want something that you haven't got, write down as if you have in an I am grateful. So for example, if you wanted to be a best-selling author, you might write down that I am grateful that I'm a best-selling author. But some people do this and they become a best-selling author for a week because they buy all their own books or get all their friends to buy their own books on Amazon. Um, so it's not a really proper one. So I always say, look, you know, if you're going to do it, make it very specific. So I would say I'm grateful that I'm a best-selling author of a book that helps people all around the world, adding value to their lives. And I'm grateful that I've sold over 100 million copies of the books so that I can spread that message of kindness, love and joy to those people. So you're being very specific, but also in your I'm grateful statements, you're adding value not to just yourself, but to other people as well. And that makes it more powerful. Next, um, I always say uh, exercise. You know, your body's made up of 65 to 70% water, depending whether you're male or female. For female, it's slightly higher. You know, in terms of that, when water stops flowing, it goes stagnant. So keep the flow going, and that includes blood flow. So it's very important to do exercise every day, as we know. Third is meditation. Meditation is incredibly important. 85% of billionaires, multimillionaires, actors, actors, and actors, they all meditate. One, because they can visualize their goals, they visualize the end in mind, visualizing what they want, and visualize the steps in place to get there. And secondly, they can reduce stress and increase energy for life. And life is all about energy. And if you optimize your energy, you can optimize your performance in life. That is normally my gem that I share with people. I would add two other things onto that at the moment because of where we are. We're all stuck at home. I hope people are stuck at home anyway, but just for these two weeks to make sure that we help the hospitals and help everybody get rid of this virus. And the other two is, I'll add on, is, is gemmed. And the ED at the end would be education. This is a massive opportunity now to, for learning. If you're stuck at home, yes, okay, you're probably still working remotely from home, but there is still opportunity now to get online and upscale yourself massively in terms of learning. And you can either do that by, you know, when my online course comes out, or you can do that, you know, getting yourself a coach, or there's hundreds of stuff online now. No excuses. Upgrade your skills while you've got the opportunity. You know, we're all busy people, but if you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you might as well be dead. So really, really, life is about growth. Life is about evolving. So try and use this time in the best way possible. And then the D at the end is for diet. Diet is incredibly important. Make sure that while you're at home, incredibly important that you've got a good diet in place. Make sure that you're trying to eat as much vegetables as possible. Get, you know, freeze vegetables if you need to, if you need to, if, if there's limitations on going to the uh, shopping center. But really try and make sure that you're optimizing your diet as much as possible. There was a lady on my radio show I mentioned earlier on, she cured herself of MS. And the things that she did was she wrote a gratitude journal every single day. She did meditation every single day to reduce the stress. On top of that, she did a diet of a juicing diet. It was Jamie Vale's uh, juicing diet. She now no longer has any symptoms or anything, and she hasn't for uh, in terms of MS. So that would be it. My gems would be the biggest uh, thing I can advise people at this point in time in what I've learned uh, from the, the, the people that I've interviewed. Doug, in everything you've achieved to this to this day, if you could go back and tell your younger self, what advice would you give? What advice would I give to my younger self? Well, I have an acronym now that I use all the time called MAKE. 
you know, make it happen in life, make sales, make perfect health, make the best relationship, make the best yourself the best father, whatever it might be in life. I wish I'd known this when I was 18. And the first one, uh, M, is for mindset or motivation. So you need to motivate yourself first before you can motivate anybody else. It's like when you're on that airplane, they t always tell you to put your own face mask on first before you can help anybody else. Or it's the same, like, you know, I know you're a healer like myself. You know, you can't really heal other people until you've healed yourself first. Or the other thing is, you know, you can't truly love another person until you have true love for yourself first as well. So motivate yourself first, then motivate the people around you. And then if you want to motivate clients to buy your products, then do that afterwards. So mindset and motivation is key. And I, I have a, um, a system in place to help people get into what I call the knowing mindset. So that would be the first thing I'd say to my younger self. The second thing that is A is for actions. So make sure you put a plan in place of where you are and where you want to get to. So many people have dreams, but those dreams don't come to reality until they actually put it down on paper and put a plan in place. So understand where you are and measure where you are and measure where you want to get to. Then put that plan in place. I mean, so many people have a business plan, for example. They do it at the start of the year. It goes in the drawer and they don't look at it again until the end of the year with their boss to go over and decide what bonus they get. I mean, that's a waste of time. Realistically, you need to be putting in a plan in place for the month, uh, sorry, for the year, for the quarter, for the month, for the week, and then even activities for the day. And then that way you put a, pl a working plan in place to work towards your end target and end goal. On top of that as well, in terms of activities, I always encourage people, especially in business, to client map. Understand exactly everything about your client, research them, uh, understand how much is each individual meeting worth with them so that you're optimizing your time and optimizing potential revenue into the business. Uh, and then activity map. Time is absolutely important in life. Time is money. So make sure that you're optimizing your time as well in, in, a, in, a, in a single way. So that'd be the activity side. Then K is for knowledge or knowing, I also say. So firstly, in terms of knowing, you need to have a knowing faith in yourself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to. And there are always naysayers who say things like, you know, oh, don't do this. And you change your mind based on parents or brothers or sisters or friends. But if you believe something really and you know it in your in your own head that it's to be true, then you've got to go. You've got to follow your passions, even when other people are saying no and then knowledge you know i always say in terms of business know your product know your industry know your market and know your client and match your client's needs to your usps and then finally e is for energy and enthusiasm and in terms of optimizing your energy to optimize your performance in life i think energy is incredibly important and i believe that love is an acronym for lots of vibrant energy so again optimize your energy to optimize your performance in life that's what I would say to my 18-year-old self. Awesome. Uh, Doug, chatting with you, you sound very upbeat, energetic. Is this the way Doug was always, or this happened after your near-death experience? Uh, no, I've always been like this. You know, you don't become successful in sales unless you're enthusiastic. I was at the age of 24, I think it was. I was working at HSBC, and my boss used to call me enthusiasm on legs. My point of view, my viewpoint is sometimes when I was 24 years of age, I'd be going in and speaking to senior solicitors in their late 40s. They, they know a lot more than me. They have a lot more life experience than me. So what can I add in terms of value to them that they don't have? Or, or what can I add that would make them want to hang around with me? And that was energy and enthusiasm. So I have always installed as much energy and enthusiasm into everything I do, whether it's playing you know, hockey or whether it's playing sport or whether it's you know, in, in work. It doesn't matter. Uh, always loads of energy um, and that's that's key 
at the beginning you mentioned your mom was energy work and everything like that when you had your near-death experience did you learn from her as well or tell us about that yeah do you know do you know my mom um she's a super lady she's so full of love and she's such a lovely person everybody loves my mom um, she's she's got she's got a brain and a mouth and no filter but um she's lovely anyway sorry mum uh it's true though you know it. so um when i was 21 years of age and um, i was in university and i used to come back to ireland all the time and i never used to go out to ibiza or anything like that but i you know obviously like any 20 year old or 21 year old a young guy who was single you're always interested in finding a nice young lady i went and ha- used to have reiki healings with my mum it was incredible. I'd have this Reiki healing with my mom and I'd feel like a million dollars. I'd go out and I guaranteed every single time I had one of those Reiki healings, I would score a lovely young lady. It said to me that obviously my aura was shining or something like that, or my energy was really positive. So I always thought there was something in it, but I did think at the time there, the whole healing thing was a little bit bonkers but i didn't care because you know it seemed to have a very positive effect then when i had the near-death experience obviously then things changed my mum had been in, in into it i uh, yeah through my mum I, I took interest in what was going on and she told me you should go and see this uh, after the the eye in my hand she said you should go and see this very spiritual lady in ireland who's uh, very well known in ireland uh, i can't say her name because she doesn't like me saying her name anyway i went to her I'd had a, a little tiff with my brother over something silly to do with money. She didn't know about it, but, but she said, oh, I feel that you have had a an argument with your brother, but it'll all be sorted in three months' time in the last week of March. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, the last week of March, my brother rang me up and said, look, let's put bygones, be bygones and be friends again. We were. I was like, Jeannie, that woman knew exactly what she was talking about. So I went back and I actually took her serious this time. And she said I had healing hands and that I can help people and all this kind of stuff. So that's where it kind of like the belief came from from there. So yeah, I mean, mum has been an inspiration for me. She taught me a magnified healing. She put me in touch with the right people to do Reiki and uh, Sakim healing as well. You know, she is always there for me, both on an, you know, uh, an emotional, a mental, spiritual uh, level. She's fantastic. You know, um, she's uh, been a bedrock for me over both when I had the near-death experience but also when my marriage was breaking up as well. So, um, I love you, Mum. <laughs> Doug, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and learn more about you? dsperformanceoptimization.com dougdgordon.com or bodyhealthandsoul and it's A-N-D, bodyhealthandsoul.com or obviously on LinkedIn uh, or Facebook. Facebook, I'm under Doug D. Gordon. LinkedIn, it's just Doug, Doug Gordon. Twitter, it's Doug D. Gordon as well. Doug, it's been a pleasure chatting to you and thank you so much for coming on to the show. Pleasure, and Thanks for having me on. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.